podcast for everything in the field of mental health and addiction treatment. Join us in listening to our episode as we will focus on highlighting industry trends with guest experts and healthcare providers from around the nation in the treatment industry who will share their unique perspectives on treatment. Ending this stigma on behavioral health and substance use disorders is very important to us. And the easiest way to do that is by talking about it. That's talking treatment. Today, our guest speaker is Dr. Melissa Fenton, president of Mind, Body, and Beyond Center out of Jacksonville, Florida. So good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. And uh, thank you for joining our call today and our podcast. Please tell me about yourself. Tell me how you got into mental health. Well, I've always been interested in um, the field. As a student in undergrad, I was a, I would say, a patient. I was uh, recommended as a psychology major to pursue my own therapy, of which I did, and it was very, very helpful. And I thought, well, you know what, this is quite an interesting career and helpful to me, so I thought I would pursue it for myself. And then you finished up at University of North Florida, is that right? I did. Well, I finished up I, after my undergrad. I did uh, several years later. I was kind of out in the field doing things while my husband was finishing up his medical, medical school training. Um, but when I went back to school, I did start with my master's of counseling psychology at UNF and then went on and got my doctorate in uh, sexology. And is that what led you to Mind, Body, and Beyond Center? How did you evolve into creating and becoming the president of that organization? Well, thank you for asking. That was uh, quite an organic evolution as far as I had no idea that this was something I would pursue when I originally started my master's and my doctorate. I started in private practice, uh, what I, it was called uh, Coastal Psychology Group, so it was primarily traditional psychology. And along the way, um, throughout the years, I noticed that so many of my clients would need ancillary or other services beyond talk therapy to make them feel good about themselves. So such as they would talk to me about different things, whether it was depression or anxiety or divorce, different life transition things. And all the while talk therapy is wonderful but it's not sufficient I recognized that they needed to exercise they needed to eat more healthfully they needed to do other things than talk therapy alone so I would recommend that they would go maybe for acupuncture maybe start an exercise program or even get massage therapy to help reduce with anxiety and stress and when I would make those suggestions and referrals to other practitioners in the community, they would come back and invariably many of them would not have pursued those suggestions. So I I started thinking, wouldn't it be nice if we could have under one roof all those different practitioners that I normally would refer out to, so therefore instead of sending the referral out with them after they left my office, I could walk them to the practitioner down down the hallway, introduce them, and get them set up. So it just seemed more fluid. Interesting. And then you had, you had mentioned that the talk therapy wasn't enough. And, and I know just from doing my research uh, on Mind, Body, and Beyond Center, 
uh, as well as yourself, that you incorporate EMDR therapy. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that and how you incorporated that? Sure. Uh, helping your clients, and then I'm, I'm just from the website. I'm guessing this is a big piece of the of Mind Body and Beyond Center as well. It is. It definitely yep. is. When I, when I mentioned uh, when I started after my master's and while I was in my doctorate training, I was in private practice, and I started to see. I would say more of an influx of anxiety and trauma and grief clients coming through my door and less so depression. It's interesting how it's evolved through the years in my practice of 17, 18 years being in the field. Originally when I started out, the majority of my clientele was suffering from uh, versions of depression. And, uh, but I would say shortly, you know, around the time around 2008, when things changed in the market, uh, I saw a preponderance of anxiety and trauma and loss uh, that, you know, had a lot to do with financial situations and divorce and, and more and more trauma, which led me to thinking I was ill-equipped with traditional counseling. I felt ill-equipped to address those concerns, even post-traumatic stress disorder, so real severe anxiety. So that led me to pursuing um, what was out there in our field of psychology, what is considered the best treatment uh, besides uh, cognitive behavioral therapy or the the different uh, theoretical uh, perspectives that I knew of from my master's and doctorate. And EMDR was the one that I found to be the most helpful. So I I pursued my training in that. And I saw very quickly that it was extremely effective for my clients to reducing their anxiety and the symptoms of anxiety. So that's how I started that. I I completed that in 2000, I think, 9, I think. So I've been doing it for a while. And I would say about... 30%, 30%, maybe 40% of my practice is comprised of EMDR uh, clients in, in, in that type of therapy. Just to piggyback off of what you're saying, Dr. Fenn, um, since it does help clients deal with trauma, and we're seeing a lot of that, even with our customers and our prospective customers, and just sure. thought leaders, industry leaders um, in this space, trauma has really been brought to the forefront over the last couple of years. It's now it's been such a heavy emphasis on, okay, if there is a behavioral health or addiction issue, let's go back and let's really, let's visit. Maybe there was trauma in your life and, and trauma can be on a very wide spectrum, right? Sure, sure. I mean, there's, there's, there's those rare one-time event traumas and then there's the majority of us have had multiple, what we call little traumas. Um, throughout our lifespan Uh, and what we've recognized in research is if you have those little traumas or you have childhood traumas big traumas or little traumas um, that impacts even more so if you have a current trauma so it tends to be almost a cumulative effect so those people that are experiencing trauma in their present lives uh, if they've had childhood traumas big or small um, they're less able to function as a result. So EMDR addresses current traumas and, and, and childhood past traumas as well. So Dr. Fenn, we have a lot of our listeners uh, that are clinicians. Uh, how could they start learning more about EMDR? 
as well as if you could explain what EMDR really does entail. I know it's what it stands for, eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing, but what does it really, what does that mean? Sure. What does a session look like? And then how can clinicians learn more about it and possibly start going to trainings and become licensed in that? Sure. Um, well, let me start with how they can uh, become trained in that. So there's an international and a national EMDRIA. So I think that's uh, EMDR uh, International Association. is. That's where I got trained, and I think they're the largest uh, training uh, accredited facility, and they're all over the nation. So pretty much any city that you're in, if you look it up, you can Google it, you can see that there's... I was trained in Tampa, and it generally takes two weekends, intensive weekends uh, of training, and you start with one weekend, and then you have so many weeks in between where you work with what you've learned on your current client base, and then you come back and you have more of the advanced training with that, and then supervision for between six months or a year after with one of the Andrea instructors. So it's intensive, but it's highly uh, beneficial for clinicians. I feel that if people are working in the field with people that experience trauma, if it's addiction, if it's behavioral health, anything that has to do with anxiety, trauma, PTSD, it's, it's highly recommended that they uh, be trained in that. Uh, there's also other techniques out there that have come since then, such as EFT. I'm not as familiar with that, um, but I, I can speak very highly uh, about the, uh, the benefits of EMDR and being trained in it. So as far as, yes, you did say it. I know it's a, it's a big mouthful, eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. Uh, it's a lot to swallow, uh, so EMDR is easier to say. It's, um, it's amazing how much material is out there. When I first got trained in it way back in you know, 2008, 2009, it may have been, if I, if I look, it could have even been earlier than that, but I think that's around the time. There was a lot of information, but the research has just gone through the roof since then. Um, it started back in the 1990s with Dr. Francine Shapiro, and she was quite, she was actually, I believe, she was a doctoral student at the time. And uh, the process started with her thinking about a situation that was upsetting with her, for her in her personal life, and she was just walking the landscape one day and thinking about something that upset her. And after she finished her walk and went back up to whether it was the lab or I don't know the specifics, she noticed she felt a heck of a lot better. Um, and nothing changed with the incident that was causing her some distress except the fact that she did her walk. So being a scientist and being in her training, she thought, well, wait a minute, is this because I did some exercise? I know there's a lot of research out there about exercise and decreasing um, uh, stress hormones and so forth, but no, it wasn't that. So she decided to really investigate and do some more research and see if she could replicate her findings. And what they came up with was while she was doing her walk, she was obviously moving her eyes back and forth as she was just scanning the landscape. So she thought, why don't I, why don't I see if there's some validity to moving the eyes back and forth? And that obviously uh, gave birth to a whole slew of research. And there's a lot of, there are a lot of theories out there. I mean, we're not absolutely certain because we don't know enough 
about the brain to say this is exactly why it works. But we do believe that it mimics REM sleep. So if you think about when you're in REM sleep, your eyes go back and forth when you're dreaming. And we know when people uh, go for long periods of time without dreaming, they have negative uh, symptoms such as they can get sick, they can start to hallucinate. You know, there's many things when we when we um, don't allow ourselves to sleep. So we looked at well, what does that mean? Is this like REM? Is it possible that while the eyes are moving back and forth, we're mimicking that sleep process? Because we know when we sleep, we are processing information that happened to us in the last 24, 48 hours. So the stimuli that we experience uh, during that time, nothing is forgotten in the subconscious mind in our permanent memory, and everything needs to be processed and stored as memory in some way while we're, while we're dreaming. And so if we realize that that's the brain's way of storing memory, and then it was theorized, well, if some memories are very traumatic, they may not get processed and stored in the same way as memories that aren't as traumatic. So then they thought, well, let's see if we actually go back to some of those memories that are very distressing, and memories can be thoughts, feelings, um, situations. If we focus on those thoughts, feelings, situations, while doing the eye movements, or what we call bilateral stimulation, um, can we help the brain process, reprocess, desensitize, and store the memory without the negative affect associated with it? And the results are quite promising, and they've been validated and replicated, you know, time and time again with across all, all demographics. And uh, it was first really um, uh, tested or used on uh, veterans and, uh, you know, combat veterans in the VA hospitals. Interesting, okay. With amazing results. And, uh, you know, obviously this is a soft science. It's very subjective when someone says they're in distress. What does that distress look like? Can we measure that distress? And can we reduce that distress? So we use um, what we call a SUD scale, which is a subject, subjective units of distress. And when we're doing EMDR, we ask them, a client, when they come in, so you're, we're talking about a situation or event that causes you a great deal of distress. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the worst, where is this event for you? And we want to work on those memories or events that are an eight, nine, or 10. Okay. So we're asking them to basically evaluate subjectively how painful that memory is for them, how distressing it is. And then by the end of our sessions, we want to see that that number decreases by several points. And that's our way that we've been able to determine that this therapy is very, very effective because at least in my, I can only speak for my clients in my practice, I tell my clients that whether it's one issue we're talking about or several traumas, I want to pick one at a time 
We want to evaluate it, look at it, talk about all the memories, the cognitions or beliefs that they hold about themselves with that memory, and I'll explain that in a second, and ask them, is, is it an eight, nine, or 10? And then we'll start with that, we'll start the processing, and by the end of the session, I, I generally see people at least go two to three points down, if not more. What the points look like, the distress is, we, we get to know what their symptoms are. So, for instance, if someone comes in, and this is something that I work a lot with, uh, which is an extreme loss and trauma, is children that have lost, or uh, parents that have lost children. So, we're talking about the worst of the worst uh, trauma that people, you know, they're, they're not doing so well. They've done the traditional talk therapy, maybe they've gone to the church or the clergy, you know, they've done many different. Uh, things to help reduce their grief and their loss and their trauma and by the time they come in to see me generally obviously their trauma is at least an eight much of the day or, or, or most of the days uh, sometimes a ten uh, and so what I'll ask them is tell me what your ten nine or eight looks like so does it mean that you're not getting out of bed does it mean you're drinking too much? Does it mean that you're isolating? You know, all of those different things we want to understand. So we, we really see, are these things shifting and changing after the EMDR session? So they're giving me a number subjectively of how they feel emotionally, but they're also giving me in follow-up sessions are they doing things uh, differently in the symptoms that they presented with originally? So are they getting out and uh, connecting with their community? Are they working again? Are they decreasing their, their alcohol consumption or whatever they may be doing? So again, we're using that SUD scale, that subjective units of distress to find out how they're feeling. Are they feeling better? And then we're also assessing their behaviors to see if those have changed as well. So I'm guessing you're aggregating that data. Um, and, and how long are you doing EMDR on clients? Is there a set time? Is there is there amount of sessions that, that typically work for someone, say, for PTSD or anxiety? Or is it just really case by case? Well, I would say the last one you said, it's case by case. I mean, generally we can say three to four sessions, you will see a reduction in your distress level. But, you know, that's also subjective. Someone may want to come in and, and feel better and get over some of their trauma, but they may want to, uh, you know, they may have many traumas. So if someone comes in with that single event, such as, let's say, for example, a client that got in a car accident, and maybe they can't get in a car anymore because they have so much fear. So that one incident, assuming there's not childhood traumas underneath it, that could be a two session, two, the first session I generally do 90 minutes to get to know them, their history, um, and as much as we can understand for them to trust me, because it's, it's, it's the subconscious that's doing the work, which is all about self-protection. So I want to make sure that they trust me, they trust the process, and they understand the procedure before we get started. So generally, the first session, if we're talking about a one-incident situation, 
is usually a 90 minute session with about 45 minutes to an hour of talking and getting to know them and understanding exactly what the trauma is, what the belief they hold around that trauma, and um, what they would also want to think and do differently. Because not only are we reducing the distress and helping uh, mitigate some of the negative symptoms, but we're also trying to bring in a positive cognition and bring in positive things in their life as well. So that's done um, in our talk, the first half of the 90-minute session, and then we start about the second half doing the, re the, the processing, which is the bilateral stimulation. And then generally we need a follow-up session of 60 minutes or so and then ideally you want to have another session at least of 30 minutes of talk therapy to consolidate and understand all that went on and how they're going to use that information moving forward. And, and Dr. Fenn, I'm assuming that this is just one aspect of the Mind, Body and Beyond Center that now in conjunction with acupuncture, yoga, uh, Reiki workshops, and spiritual healing, all of these things, that's when holistically you're treating all of the issues uh, for that client. Absolutely. And my question to you is, during during this pandemic of, sure. of, of COVID-19, how are you able to still treat your clients, um, especially because it is such a holistic approach that you offer? Right, right. That's a great question. Thanks for asking. Um, you know, we're, we're obviously we're in the midst of everything. It's the beginning stages of this, so we're uncertain where it's going to go. Um, we're trying to keep our clients connected and helping them with the treatments that they were doing before the pandemic. Uh, I have set up telehealth using Zoom, and um, that's been very helpful for the last couple of weeks. And I'm assuming that I'll continue that as well as my other therapists will do that. And we also have uh, a career coach and some of the other therapies that can be done through telehealth virtually. As far as um, acupuncture, yoga, we may be streaming some yoga, but the acupuncture we're going to have to stop, um, massage therapy, these other services, unfortunately, are just being suspended for now until um, until this is lifted. Is EMDR one of those services that needs to be suspended or can it be offered still through telehealth? Well, it's funny you should ask that because I'm in the process right now of working on that. That's on my agenda this weekend to see if I can create it virtually and it's effective. So I'm going to actually have one of my family members <laughs> be my client and we're going to set up in two separate rooms. And now EMDR can be done and let me, I'm sorry, I'm digressing for a moment. EMDR is originally patented. It's done with the, um, with the fingers where, I don't know if you, if you know what I'm talking about, where the fingers go back, where someone uh, tracks someone else's fingers going back and forth. The eye movement. Yes, the eye movement. That's how it was originally done and patented, and it's powerful. Since that time, we've used other techniques, um, audio where someone can put, you know, just having a sound 
back and forth on each ear, as long as you have bilateral stimulation. So you can either do padding on the knees. Um, we have, I use in my office, a tachometer, which is a, someone holds it in each palm and it's a pulsating uh, sensation that goes back and forth right to left. Um, I also, in a lot of psychiatrists I've seen use, it's a uh, gradiating light. I don't know if you've seen that, where it's on a tripod and, and a light just goes back and forth and you just track it. So I am going to see if I can offer it virtually through the light or just the finger movements with someone uh, on the screen, and, uh, you know, on their computer and see if it's just as effective. So my goal is in the next week or two to launch that. But if I can get positive feedback that it's helpful, then certainly I think it's, it's definitely uh, something I will uh, start in the next couple of weeks. I know there are therapists that are doing it online. I just feel that I need to get the feedback the way I do it specifically and, uh, you know, from people that it's effective. How interesting. Yeah, I think a big part of what we're seeing as well, because we serve a lot of, um, uh, of addiction treatment, behavioral health entities that are not just outpatient but inpatient, and they do take insurance. So I was going to ask, does My Body and Beyond Center uh, uh, offer their services and to get reimbursed uh, through insurance, or is it so, cash pay only? Yes, it's fee for service, as you say, cash pay only. Um, and I've been doing that even as a, a psychotherapist for all these years. So all the services, and I especially do it now because, unfortunately, many of the services, services such as career counseling, um, acupuncture, massage therapy, energy healing, they can't be reimbursed. Um, so as a whole, Mind, Body, and Beyond is fee-for-service. However, we do offer, uh, especially with my service, where we um, provide a, a receipt with a billing code on it so they can submit that for reimbursement. But EMDR is reimbursable. Yes, it is. Yeah, yes. that's why I was going to ask, uh, but it's not really a big, uh, a, a big point for you is to if telehealth would accept that because that's what we're finding now for those of, of our customers that do uh, take insurance telehealth in certain states uh, certain therapies and modalities that are provided through telehealth either aren't reimbursed at all or maybe just a percentage of what they would be in person so right. it's been definite a hit for our customers sure. but really for the clients and that's what we're all in, in this for is to yes. make sure that the clients are, are getting a better level of care, higher level of care, better sure. quality of care. Well, I do have to say one of the silver linings to this pandemic is I do know in many areas um, the government has pushed pretty quickly a change in uh, coding and reimbursement for telehealth services, at least for physicians. And I'm hoping, I haven't looked to see in the present if it's been for mental health as well. Um, so I think that there's going to be some changes coming fairly quickly. And I hope that that helps, uh, you know, the clients that are in need of this type of telehealth. It definitely will. It definitely will. And, and things are changing very quickly. Wish they could uh, change quicker to adapt. But, you know, sometimes government and, and the Fed takes a little bit of time there. Sure. So I wanted to close with uh, speaking about how, how do you get your, your clients and who are the ideal clients for you? I know you've mentioned a little bit what, what 
clients could benefit the most for EMDR, but how could someone find uh, Mind, Body, and Beyond Center, and, and what would make them a good uh, candidate to work with y'all? Hmm. Well, first of all, uh, a lot of people, just presently, a lot of people find us through you know Google search or referrals from current clients, also physicians in the community. Um, our ideal clients are those that are wanting a, a very nurturing environment with highly skilled practitioners uh, and, and really we meet our clients where they are. We have so many different modalities that we offer under one roof that generally our clients are seeing medical doctors and uh, they're coming here for supplemental therapies. Uh, we also have, I didn't mention, uh, we also have a nurse practitioner, doctorate level nurse practitioner that shares our space with us and she's fully trained in functional medicine. So we are kind of uh, merging with other, I want to say it outside the box, <laughs> um, thinkers that are uh, health conscious and focused on the whole person and but also recognize that there is a time and a place and a necessary place for Western medicine so especially since where we're located here in Jacksonville we're just steps away from the Mayo Clinic and it's a wonderful facility with wonderful medical doctors and staff there so a lot of our patients we recommend they still stay with their psychiatrists their medical doctors and then we will go ahead and work with them outside of their medical treatment and offer very helpful complementary treatments to round off their uh, health and well-being okay very good and that really concludes it on my end dr fenn unless there was something that i missed uh from our agenda today that you wanted to double dip on or maybe reintroduce um, otherwise, I think we covered the basis of what I was looking for. Well, good. No, I think that was very thorough, and I really appreciate you asking me these questions. I hope this helps the listening community. It will. I, I think a lot of our listeners are, are either clinicians or owners and directors of, of facilities that you know maybe had heard of EMDR, um, maybe they've had wanted to incorporate it into their programs, but maybe they just haven't had maybe the right clinician to do it. Sure. Or maybe the, the right opportunities to introduce, hey, I, I think this would be a good opportunity for you to go ahead and learn in the training of it. So I think that you were able to shed some really awesome light on that. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And you stay healthy and safe. And yes, you we'll too. Be in well, touch. I'll try to. Yes. Well, okay. All right. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Nice meeting you. Nice meeting Bye. you too. Bye-bye.